you're on the road, you're proud I didn't do that. Why are you doing this to me? All right, all right, maybe I did it a little bit. Okay, you got me, just the one time. Sorry, that's, that's not enough. You're going to the judge. I'm, I'm taking you there. So he hands you over to the judge. Well, the idea here is that you have confessed the sin. The judge is a righteous judge, or you have committed the sin. He's a righteous judge, so he looks at the case and he goes, you're guilty. Then what does he do? He hands you over to his minion. That's the paraphrase of the word officer. Right? So he hands you over to the guy in the court who drag, who takes you off to the actual jail. There's the officer, the attendant, the helper, minion, and maybe our Welcome again to Grace Maryville Weekly, which is a podcast ministry of Grace Community Church located in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. The sermon you are about to hear is a part of a sermon series presented by Pastor Chris Reiser from the book of Matthew. Pastor Chris has sought to demonstrate that Jesus is the King, which is the overall theme of the book of Matthew. It is our goal to provide messages on Monday and Friday weekly from the pulpit at Grace Community Church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to call everyone to repent and believe. Let's listen now as Pastor Chris works exegetically through the text. So so who of you needs to go? Leave your offering. Don't come and hypocritically sing these beautiful songs to the Lord and, and come here to communion and offer up these things. When you have violated your relationship with someone else, you've sinned against them, you haven't dealt with it, which leaves them open to sin and you open to sin and God open to dishonor as a result of it. We must not allow that to be. It says, leave your offering, reconcile there before the altar first, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. So number three here is reconcile with your brother. Leave the offering. It's important. Again, the Old Testament sacrifice was necessary. They were required to do it to cover their sin temporally. How much more important for us when we have had the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ made on our behalf, which we celebrate this morning, that we would not adulterate that sacrifice by refusing to confess and reconcile with those that we have sinned against. First and foremost, members of the body of Christ. That's the idea of brother here. Right? Certainly it could be a family relation. It could be an is another Israelite. But the function here, bottom line, is one who's related to us in our relationship with God. One who's a brother or sister in Christ for us. Leave your offering before the altar. The Lord does not regard this sacrifice. I don't know if you've reconciled with someone else. I don't sit here going, well, you need to go do something. I don't know. But you do, and the Lord certainly does. And you can say, well, I'll I'll deal with that later, and I'll come before God now. The the primacy is here. First, go. Everything about this, go. The command is very strong. Go. Get out of here is the idea. Get away from the altar, because God is not receiving that sacrifice. The Old Testament speaks to this. New Testament doesn't in many places as well. But 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? The old to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. He wasn't saying you need to stop sacrificing. He was saying, obey me, deal with your relationships, deal with your sin before coming to the altar and saying, well, now I'm going to do the public show. Now I'm going to do the open proclamation, the visible representation of my worship and repentance. Do it in your heart and do it with other people before you come before me. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, again, we're familiar with that. 
But I wonder if something isn't even this morning tugging at your conscience, something that you need to deal with, something that you need to change. I pray that it is so that you might deal with it carefully and quickly. Leave your offering, go and be reconciled to your brother. The word is, again, is, is, is very strong. Get out of here, leave, first, as of greatest importance. Again, not that reconciling with a brother is more important, but in this particular case, because you haven't done that and you are trying to go before God, that gives it the primary importance. Don't try to come before God without having dealt with these things. Anything that you can deal with with your brother, that would be brother or sister, first and foremost in Christ, and then extending out to any relationship that you have. Now, I understand that full reconciliation is not always possible. And the word here, it's, it's, this particular word is only used once in the New Testament. Jesus uses a very unique word. But it is, it is related to, and probably not any different, than the general word for reconciliation in the Bible, which is simply this, to be restored to a right or favorable relationship, to move from an, uh, the relationship of an enemy to the relationship of a friend. And that's what sin does. Sin makes a breach in relationship. And it doesn't even mean that the other person is angry at you or, or has broken off the relationship. But you need to understand that when you sin against someone, right, it is a vital breach. It is, it is a grievous breach of what is supposed to be your love relationship with them. You have acted as an enemy towards them, even if they are not treating you as an enemy. And so you need to reconcile because your spouse might be very gracious. They might be treating you kindly and graciously. And you're like, ah, oh, see, I'm good. I don't need to deal with this because look, she's treating me. He's treating me fine. Your children do this. They love you. You sin against them. And the next day they're happy and fine because they have set it aside. But you have still harmed them. You have acted like an enemy towards them and you must deal with it. You must be reconciled. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. All this starting to fit together. You need to deal with it now relationally. You don't just set it aside because you have treated them as an enemy. It's wrong. It's grievous. It dishonors God and it dishonors them. Be reconciled. Right? All of these here are very strong words. Now, again, this means that you are to do everything possible on your part to bring peace with the one that you have sinned against. Sometimes it's relatively easy particularly if they've already forgiven you, which is what we're called to do. Remember, the view here is not on the other person's side. It's on your side. Who sinned against you. It's what should you do. Given you in their heart or not, and certainly that makes it easier, you are to go and to seek and you are to do everything possible, even if they ultimately refuse to be at peace with you. You are to have done everything as far as you can do it. Romans twelve eighteen. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You are to go and do everything you can to try to see that that relationship is properly reconciled with your humility, your repentance, your confession, your pleas of renewed relationship, regardless of how they are responding to you. And it is true that sin breaks fellowship. We cannot simply excuse sin away or forget it because we must not allow anything which hinders our fellowship with others. Every effort should be expended. Even good things should be set aside for the purpose of recovering from the devastation of sin and anger. And are you willing to do that? The word picture here, again, is very strong. R.T. France brings this out in his commentary. 
This saying, presumably, he says, uttered in Galilee, thus envisions a worshiper who traveled some 80 miles to Jerusalem with his offering, who then leaves the animal in the temple while he makes a journey of a week or more back to Galilee to, in order to effect reconciliation with his offended brother before he dares go back to Jerusalem to present his offering. It's not so, it's not, in our society, what do you do? You whip out the phone, you do a quick text, or, you know, that we could quickly communicate. You hop in the car, you drive, you walk. So easy for us to travel and communicate. The, the word picture here is very strong. He's going to have to, to leave his offering there, spend money to get there, time he recognizes how weak that they come back because the relationship with God and the relationship with others is so valuable. In this new year, how valuable will people be to you? I would say that each of you would, would say, well, we're here because we love God. We value God. He is worth all of our time and effort and energy. He's worth all of the glory that we could give him. Directly tied to that is the value of every other individual beginning with other believers and other believers in this assembly. Now, some of this, of course, presupposes that you spend enough time, and I say this often, I'll continue to say it, that you spend enough time with the body of Christ to have any kind of relationship with them at all. Enough time, as I I often say, to even offend someone. Enough time to even sin against someone. If if the only time you show up here is on Sunday morning for, you know, the hour or so, or maybe a little bit of Sunday school, the the total time of interaction with other people is maybe five to seven minutes, and then you're out of here, well, you're not going to have necessarily too much trouble with this, with other members of of this body. Now, you're still going to wrestle with it with your family. You're going to wrestle with it with those close to you. Yes, but not so much here. But I ask you, are you going to be willing to spend enough time with people that your sin would even be seen so that you would even have to reconcile and that you would choose to do that? True worship, our worship in this new year will be enhanced, not not by better sound system, although that will be wonderful, not by more instruments, although that's great, Not by more movement or hand-raising or other things, although, again, those things are wonderful and fine. Our worship experience, as it were, will not be enhanced until our relationships are better. Not only with God himself as we pursue that, but also with others. If we come together reconciled, having spent time with one another, loved each other, repented of our sin before one another, and then we come together before Holy God to offer, as it were, our bodies and ourselves in worship, then this place will be a place of joy and intimacy and powerful worship because of the strength of our relationships. How committed will you be to the body of Christ to be with them? How committed will you be to the body of Christ to be reconciled to them on a continual basis. Jesus says this is vital, presupposing the fact that we would love and pursue our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's just assumed in this text. A love for God and a love for people is assumed. It is the desire to deal with that and make sure that we follow through with that that Jesus says is so important. And by the way, if you're an unbeliever, this doesn't mean anything to you. It's like, what are you talking about? I mean, church is for, it's for casual acquaintance. I love to hear the, I come, I hear the doctrine. That's all wonderful. And, 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 and unbelievers can be drawn by that. And so, so you, there's all these other things that draw you, but relationship with the body of Christ, valuing of God enough to make sure that you are in relationship and then in reconciled relationship with other members of the body of Christ, that's going to mean little to you. Your family is going to be, your, 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 your physical family is going to be much more important to you. Your work family, nothing's going to be so much more important to you than this body. But as believers, isn't that our family isn't important to us, but our, our, the body of Christ, other brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, are, are vitally important to us because they're important to God. Now, to kind of finish this first illustration out, 
Oh, by the way, John MacArthur says this. True worship is not enhanced by better music, better prayers, better architecture, architecture, or even by better preaching. Ouch. True worship is enhanced by better relationships between those who come to worship. Worship may be improved by our staying away from church until we have made things right with those with whom we know our relationship is strained or broken. I think about that. If we value the gathering together so much, if, if, we, if we love to be together, then to stay away would be of such great pain and difficulty to us that we would be, and we knew that we had to stay away when we weren't reconciled. Do you see how that would lead to our quick reconciliation? We hate to be away from one another. We know that unreconciled relationships should cause us to stay away as it were until we are. So we're driven to carefully reconcile because we long to be together because we love to worship God. See how that fits together? And that's Jesus' command flowing out of this idea that in our heart, angered, we murder people, we sin against them, we harm them, so we have to fix this and we cannot leave it go. But then notice he says, then return, come, then come and present your offering. Don't say, oh, well, I got it right with my brothers and sisters. We're all good. We're all one big happy family. So now I don't have to confess before God. No, they're both vital. It started there. You had to go and do the reconciliation horizontally. And then you come back and you finish out your confession. Then come and present your offering. Reconciling with others is not a substitute for confessing to God or coming to worship before him or saying, hey, we're all, we're all okay you know, in our relationships. So I'll just stay away and watch the video. So the idea is that we come back together, we worship God together, we honor him. It is, it is the, the, the character of our heart relationships with others and, and with the, the Lord that, that bring the value of our worship. William Hendrickson says the gift, and really that's the word here for offering, it's gift that we give, as it were, what we are giving to the Lord really as a result of his gift to us. The gift derives its value from the heart of the giver. That's our issue that faces us this morning. So that's the primacy of repentance and reconciliation. It is first, as it were. And it's not undoing the, the, the understanding that when we sin, we sin before the Lord, that our, our first sin, as it were, the, the first area of our guiltiness is before God. But on a horizontal plane, and when there has been broken relationship with others, before we come and, and, and seek to be offering up that, that repentance to the Lord, we are to make sure that we are in right relationship with others. Now, so it's not only a primary, it's also urgent. The second illustration that Jesus is going to use here is going to bring this home. Because it could be that you're sitting here going, Chris, that's nice. That's a nice New Year sermon. I, I got people, though, that, you know, I'm just not ready to deal with. It's going to take me some time. Uh, I just, I don't want to deal with them. They've harmed me deeply. And so I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll pray about it for a couple of weeks and I'll find out. I urge you, don't do that. Because it's almost as if, almost, it is as if Jesus anticipated this response. Okay, I know I need to do that right away, but I'm not sure that I can really do that, so I might let that be. Maybe I, won't, maybe I won't go to the altar for a while. Look what he says in verse 25. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, the judge of the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. Now comes the urgency. The, the picture changes from the altar to the road. The, the person offended here, there's still a person offended. This appears to be, the situation appears to be someone whom you have offended again, who has a, a real legal, in this case, because it was a true sin, I think is the implication. You truly sinned against them. You haven't dealt with it. And now it's gotten to the point where they're dragging you into court. And remember, we've already got all kinds of courtroom language in this passage where he says, if you commit murder, what? You're guilty before the court the religious court, as it were, the court to say, you have actually committed a sin. 
And so here we have that same picture. You've sinned against someone. You, in your pride and arrogance, you haven't dealt with it. And now he is going to deal with it. And he's taking you to court. He says, you had better deal with this quickly. Because if you don't repent while there's opportunity, you will pay the price and it won't be pretty. As I gave you in my first illustration this morning, I've experienced that and I think you probably have too. The longer that you wait, the greater the penalty in relationship, which means the greater the penalty and honor given to God in closeness of the body, in the ability to worship and praise and honor Him as He so richly deserves. The consequences are devastating. Don't wait. It is urgent that you do this. Make friends quickly, he says, as he switches the illustration, maintaining the central point. Reconciliation and repentance are vital. So repent while there's opportunity. What he says is, but you're about to get drawn into court. You're about to get convicted. That's the picture here. You have sinned. This person's going to come and bring his complaints, and you are going to be convicted, and then you're going to pay the penalty, right? Stop ignoring your sin. Stop pretending you didn't do it, because God knows And the other person knows if they have any understanding of Scripture, they understand what you've done. You've sinned against them. You're about to pay the price. Make friends. It's it's the exact same concept, not the same word as what? Reconciliation. Make friends. What what do you tell your kids when they sin against each other? You need to make up. You need to make friends. You You need to hug each other. You need to love each other, right? You need to be reconciled. Well, here's the idea. And this sin apparently is very deep. It is a breach that has gotten very strong. This person is about to take you to court. You have sinned against them and you haven't dealt with it. Quickly, quickly now. You should have done it quickly before. You didn't. Now you're about to pay the price. Don't waste this time. Quickly go. Your opponent at law here, interesting term. In, in every other place, it's, it's used like seven times in Scripture. It, it has to do with someone who has a legal case against you. But very fascinatingly, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it's used of the devil. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert, be on the alert, your adversary, the one who has, or in the devil's case, who is constantly accusing you. That's a very strong word. This word here is someone who does have something against you. He is accusing you, and you are about to be thrown into prison. It's a crime or sin against another that's not been repented of. The restitution has not been made. The opponent has come to the point where they believe they have no recourse but to sue. The indication is that the opponent has a true grievance against you, that you've been too proud, foolish, or lazy to deal with the issue. You've gone about your confession before God, but you've not dealt with your sin against your brother, and now is about to cost you dearly. He says, look, you're on the road. The idea was that in those times when you had a grievance, you were about to sue someone, you would go and tell them, and you would essentially drag them to court with you. Right? So it's almost as though the person with the offense has now come and said, oh, you haven't dealt with this, and I'm not coming here to deal with the offense personally. I'm coming to deal with the offense publicly. You are going to pay. Again, right? Uh, the focus is not on, the, on this person's response. This is what they are doing. This is what your sin has caused. And they have, as it were, a legal right to do so. So they drag you. They use whatever necessary means to coerce you out of your home. And we head, you head, you're heading towards the court. And he goes, look, you've got a little bit of time on the road. Not much. You're about to reach the courthouse. And when you get there, you will be convicted. Very vivid picture. So you would best get to work while you're on the road. You don't have long. Start talking. Start talking quickly. Start humbling yourself very quickly. Recognize the sin. Humble yourself. Pursue means of restitution. Offer what is necessary so that this can get dealt with before it becomes public and before you end up in prison. Now, don't wait till the action comes before a higher court. Deal with it quickly on the horizontal level. Deal with it immediately so you won't come underneath that condemnation. Now, again, we understand that the point here is not about lawsuits in general. 
Christians aren't supposed to drag each other into court, but that's, that's not the point of Jesus here. The whole idea is you are about to suffer the consequences, the righteous consequences of your lack of repentance and reconciliation. Anger and pride keep you from repenting and thus from doing everything possible to reconcile with others. And this tends to be particularly true when people are, they, when they up the ante against you, when they start to press more firmly. If you are already arrogant, the more that they press, what do you do? The more you dig in, the more you come up with excuses. You start saying foolish and ridiculous things, not just you, but me. Elise and I were discussing something this weekend. Discussing is a, is a nice term for what it was. And certainly a portion of it, my sin against her. And all of a sudden, I, I'm coming up with these ridiculous excuses as to why I did that. And I hear myself talking. I'm like, that's ridiculous. And she's sitting there thinking, that's ridiculous. Why am I saying that? Because I'm, I'm now in these frantic efforts to protect my ego. Now, maybe I'm the only one that does that, but I don't think so. And so we get more and more frantic to try to protect ourselves. We say foolish and do stupid things, trying to somehow protect us. If we, we, we just humbled ourselves and said, you're right, I'm wrong. At that moment, we wouldn't be doing these foolish, ridiculous things and saying this, this foolish stuff. That's the idea here. Humble yourself quickly and, and don't get more foolish on the road. Instead, recognize your sin, fall on your face as it were before this person. And it is, it is the gentleness of wisdom that enables this to happen. James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Anytime you are jealous, ambitious, proud in your own heart, you start to, that's the demonic wisdom, as it were. That's the, things that are, are, are evil and foolish start to come out of your mouth. The wisdom from above, says James, is first pure then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, that is easy to be reasoned with, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Proverbs 25, 8 puts it a little more starkly. Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? The idea is, again, this foolishness, trying to dig in. I didn't do that when you did. And you then end up looking like a fool. Because you did, in fact, commit the sin. Admit it, yield, humble yourself. Do it on the road, as it were. Do it quickly. Don't wait. The court is coming. Now look at the consequences here. Repent or suffer. Repent and reconcile. Because the whole idea here is not that you say, I'm sorry, sorry about that, because you're on your way to court. And you go, yeah, I know you're sorry. Now apologize. Or I, I know you're sorry. Now I'm going to take you and still deal with it. You're going to have to reconcile here the whole idea. Make friends so that this person you have treated as an enemy is favorable enough towards you in this little time you have on the road to then back off from the court case he's about to bring and, and, and wreak his vengeance upon you. Find his joy in bringing your punishment instead of finding his joy in being your friend. You have to work pretty hard here. You have to do a lot of, lot of repenting, a lot of confessing, a lot of, a lot of humbling yourself. Lest, here's the consequences, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge. He's saying, it takes you all the way. Sorry, you try, you know, you, you're on the road, you're proud, I didn't do that. Why are you doing this to me? All right, all right, maybe I did it a little bit. Okay, you got me, just the one time. Sorry, that, that's, that's not enough. You're, you're going to the judge. I'm, I'm taking you there. So he hands you over to the judge. Well, the idea here is that you have confessed the sin. The judge is a righteous judge, or you have committed the sin. He's a righteous judge, so he looks at the case and he goes, you're guilty. Then what does he do? He hands you over to his minion. That's the paraphrase of the word officer. Right? So he hands you over to the guy in the court who drag, who takes you off to the actual jail. There's the officer. 
the attendant, the helper, minion and maybe our progressive language. And that minion, that officer does what? He throws you into prison. Your freedom is taken away. Your punishment is being brought about. And then it says, because of the, again, the whole picture is because of the nature of your lack of repentance, because you refused to deal with this, you didn't make friends, the fullness of this person's wrath, and therefore the fullness of the wrath of the court is against you. It says you won't get out of there until you've paid the last cent. You will find no mercy at that point. You don't want to pay those consequences. Again, there's no, the picture here is not on the person on the other side and what they ought to do and what they should have done. Remember, this is more like a parable. It's got one point. The point is you repent quickly or you will suffer the consequences. And you don't, you don't want to ruin relationships in that way. You will pay and, and you pay relationally for the, for the harm that you have caused. And therefore, God's name is dishonored. Other people are put in positions where it's easy for them to sin because you haven't dealt with your sin against them. And although they may not sin, you are certainly making it easy for them to do so. You won't get out of there until you've paid the last cent. You refuse to do the hard work of repentance and reconciliation, and you pay the price in your own life. Some of you are paying the price in particular relationships. It's time to humble yourself. It's time to prostrate yourself before that individual, as it were, and say, I'm so sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. Forgive me. Stop being defensive. Stop making excuses. The time is short, as it were. God is being dishonored all along the way. The relationship is being harmed even now. Don't pay that price. Now, I think you can see a a bit of a bigger picture here, can't you? The primary point of the parable is not God's eternal judgment upon you. But I want you to see that picture because it's there. In the end, he says, you will not get out of there until you have paid the last Sent, you will be handed over and put in prison. In, in verse 22, when he talked about being, when Jesus talked about being guilty before the court, he also talked about being guilty before someone else. And who was that? Look at verse 22. You will be guilty, what? Before the Supreme Court, whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. The biggest possible picture here is that some of you remain characterized by anger, characterized by sinfulness, that you will not reconcile, and that's, that's characteristic of you, broken relationships, harmed relationships, and with you and your arrogance and pride, refuse to humble yourself. Sometimes you will go far enough to, to make a little bit of temporal reconciliation, but your life is characterized by sinful relationships with others that are broken because of your sin. You're an unbeliever. If, if that characterizes you and you're a guilty where, not simply before whatever court of appeals or the difficulty of the relationship temporally on earth, you're a guilty before holy God, you will pay the last cent, which is something you can never pay. So, so this, this, is, this is convicting on, on two levels. The first for believers, stop harming others. Stop paying the, the penalty of that both personally, but also bringing, bringing, dis, bringing despising other people to despise the name of God. Stop doing that and instead humble yourself. And then it may be that for you, as you consider this this morning, and as you come to communion, that this is the nature of your life. This is who you are. Broken relationships for which you are paying the price now, but which you will pay a far greater price later. And that is a price that you can't ever fully pay. The last cent will mean what? That you spend eternity in hell. That's the last cent. Now, the beauty of communion is what? Jesus paid the last cent. He paid it all, what you could not pay. So as a believer, why would you continue to violate that sacrifice by refusing to repent and reconcile? 
And as an unbeliever, why would you not throw yourself upon the grace and mercy of God to receive the benefits of that payment when you can't pay? So Ron, if you'll come, we'll prepare our hearts and participate. Thank you for joining us again on Grace Maryville Weekly. These messages are just a small collection of sermons that have been presented at Grace Community Church in downtown Maryville, Tennessee. If you would like to learn more about Grace Community Church, where Pastor Chris serves as an elder and pastor, please visit us online at gracemaryville.org. Again, that is gracemaryville.org. There, not only will you be able to find out more about the many ministries at Grace, but you will also be able to access a full audio archive of messages not only presented by Pastor Chris, but also messages presented to our women's ministry, youth ministry, and college-aged ministries, as well as the SOLA and Essentials Conferences hosted at Grace. We invite you to visit us online And we hope that you will join us again next time as Pastor Chris continues to exegetically work through the book of Matthew. Until then, remember that Jesus is the King and the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ.